Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We have three guests coming up in this hour. Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Lance Dotis, will discuss his new groundbreaking book, Breaking Addiction, a seven-step handbook for ending any addiction. Author, actor, writer, and director Philip Shepard will discuss his new book, New Self, New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. And one of my most favorite people and trusted journalists, former host of ABC's Good Morning America, Joan London, will talk to, she's going to join us to talk about her new spring collection of home design for QVC. But first, Dr. Lance Dotis, Breaking Addiction, a seven-step handbook for ending any addiction. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. Well, your book, and I've read it, presents a comprehensive guide outlining seven critical steps to overcoming addiction. Um, but it's a new way of managing and understanding addiction. So first tell us, what's unique about your book? Well, uh, most people have thought about addiction uh, in, uh, uh, in other terms altogether. They either are focused on physical addiction and, and the physical problems of addiction, which are really not the main issue, um, or there's a traditional approach to addiction in, in our uh, culture, which uh, has not worked very well. Um, this book is about uh, a new way of thinking about the nature of addiction and the way that you can use that to uh, solve the problem. Uh, and it's quite different because it has to do with looking at the kinds of issues that lead people to feel intolerably helpless, and it's helplessness that always precedes uh, addiction. And that's, very, that's different. You know, I forgot to... I forgot to tell everyone, I have to tell our listeners, we have to give you the credibility. You are a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, so I have to interject that in uh, before, I, before we go on. Uh, but, Dr. Dotis, okay, so it's, it's a whole new way of approaching addiction because, as I understand it, from a social worker's perspective, we were always taught that addiction, it, it's a physical thing. Once you're addicted to heroin or alcohol, uh, uh, it's a physical addiction, and yes, there are psychological components to it, but we always have to consider the physical, and we are powerless to, and the AA motto is that we're powerless to do anything about it. You say we have to take yeah. on the, we, uh, we do have the power to do something about it. Oh, absolutely, it. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think both of those ideas are basically not, not correct. Uh, the, the, the issue with physical addiction is, of course, it's a real problem, and it can be a serious medical problem, but, um, you know, if, if you take someone who has, uh, doesn't have alcoholism, for example, and you, and you feed them a quart of vodka a day for seven days, they will be physically addicted to alcohol. That's, that's a 
that's your body responding. It has nothing to do with anything else. But once you detoxify this person, so now they're safely off alcohol, they're not going to go off and drink because they don't have alcoholism. The, the, the physical addiction is more or less irrelevant. Again, not, it's not that it's unimportant, but that's not the cause of, of addictive behavior. Uh, people who do have alcoholism uh, are, uh, uh, need to go back to drink again and again, even if they never have a physical addiction to alcohol. Binge drinkers, for instance, uh, usually don't have a physical addiction to alcohol because they just don't drink long enough uh, to, to develop it, uh, but they certainly have alcoholism. So physical addiction just isn't that important to it. The other thing it also, about, Dr. Dotis, yeah. it wouldn't make sense because uh, we're, when we're talking about addictions, we're not simply talking about drugs and alcohol. We're also talking about it could be gambling, it could be sex, and there really isn't necessarily any uh, physical addiction, to, well, at least for, I don't know about sex, but uh, for gambling, for instance. Um, Absolutely. No, yeah. that's actually, that is absolutely right. And the, the, people regularly substitute non-drug addictions for drug addictions. So it's another reason to, that, I mean, drugs, to, drugs really don't have anything to do with addiction. It seems like a strange thing to say because a lot of addictions involve drugs. But they're not the cause of addiction. They're, uh, as, you, as you pointed out, you, there are lots of non-drug addictions, too. And that also just underlines the fact that there's something else in addiction which we need to understand if you're going to get rid of it. So we're saying, or you're saying in your book, and, and your whole theory is kind of a, sounds a, a, like a, a, a psychoanalytic approach um, to addictions, um, that we have to look at the underlying emotional causes for why we seek out, why we are addicted. I mean, you give an example in your, your book about uh, one fellow who was addicted to buying lottery tickets, and um, he, he just couldn't stop himself um, and. I guess eventually he was able to do that. But um, how do you know if you have an addiction? Well, that's a great question, too. And actually, the, 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 at the beginning of the book, I, I have a chapter that addresses exactly that question. The first step of the seven steps is figuring out whether you have an addiction. Um, the answer is basically that if you... Uh, addictive behaviors are compulsions. They're driven behaviors. You have to do it. It's not because you're dumb or lazy or bad. It's that it's driven in the same way uh, that other compulsive behaviors uh, are are driven. So you can distinguish the person who gets goes home at the end of the day and has a, has a drink uh, from somebody who has alcoholism on the basis of what drives the, the drink. If the person is only drinking because he needs to relax, if that truly is the reason, or he goes out for a beer with his friends, uh, something like that, uh, that's social drinking. That's, that's driven by nothing more than what you know it's driven by. But if you have to have a drink because you're under stress, if you have to have uh, go out and gamble because you feel overwhelmed and, and, and trapped, that's the kind of thing that occurs in addiction. And it's not only that it's, you know, one understands the, the root causes of the addiction. Part of the uh, purpose of my book is to show that you really don't, even, you don't have to work out all the issues. It's not that. But you have to be able to recognize the, what I call the key moments in addiction, which always is before the addictive act. Um, uh, people usually have focused on the addiction itself or, or, or the consequences of the addiction, how terrible things are. And those things are important, but they're not helpful to find out the cause. And it's that key moment when you first think about doing the behavior that, that you need to, to both locate and then, and then deal with. 
And, so, Dr. Dotis, give yeah. us an example like you do in the book. Give us an example of a, a case history of, you know, put that into, you know, put a face on it for us sure. about when you first, you know, recognized that key moment in addiction. Sure. Uh, the first uh, story in the book, uh, the, the book is filled with, uh, with stories of people, who, cases, um, is about a man who uh, has alcoholism, and he's sitting at his desk at work at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and he is overwhelmed with work to begin with. He also told his kids that he would go home and build a fort with them, so it's important that he get home. His wife doesn't want him to stay late. He's under a lot of stress to begin with. And then somebody dumps a packet of new work on his desk. Now he is completely overwhelmed. So at that moment, he says to himself, by God, I'm going to have a drink when I leave work at 5 o'clock. And, of course, it's going to be more than one drink also. So what has occurred? First of all, that is the key moment. At that moment, now it's four hours before he actually has a drink, so, of course, there's no physical addiction involved. At that moment, something has happened. He has decided to have a drink, and that's the moment that you need to focus on. So why? Why did he do that? Well, if he had been noticing these key moments for a long time, he would have gradually recognized that there's a theme behind all of them. In his case, he was a man who had a long history in his life of being having multiple demands made on him at the same time. He had grown up in a family where his parents fought, and they were always asking him to do different things at the same time. And he had an older brother who didn't pay attention to him. There was a lot going on with him that felt the same as this situation now at 1 o'clock. He was having being pulled in many directions. There was absolutely nothing he could do about it. He was trapped. And it's that trapped feeling, that helpless feeling, that always leads to an addiction for people. And in his case, it had to do with, with this. So if he had had... Uh, uh, some experience with this, and, and a lot of the book is talking about how to recognize the key moment, how you can keep yourself from recognizing the key moment, and what to do in that key moment, then he would have been in a great position to not have the, the, the drink four hours, four hours later. So what could he have done? Well, the answers actually are pretty obvious. He, he could have gone to his boss and said, look, you know, this is too much. I'm, I have all these other demands. Or if he didn't do that, he could have said, you know, I'm going to do a sort of a somewhat half-hearted job on this just so I can get home early, or maybe he wouldn't have done it at all. The point is that the solutions to these kind of things are pretty simple, but he didn't see them because he felt that he was back in the throes of this trap, and there were factors in that. You know, he, when he was a kid, he didn't want to make a fuss. He, didn't, he wanted to keep the peace in this tumultuous family, so he didn't want to make a fuss and go to his boss. There were issues inside of him that led him to, be, to feel trapped. So, so how do you, okay, that's a, that's a great example, and I think that, uh, you know, having dealt with many clients who have the same kind of issues, these addiction issues, how do they get to the point where they themselves will recognize it and say, okay, I can associate this with what went on in my childhood. I had all this stuff put upon me by my parents in this case and my brother, and, you know, I never got what I needed. So what I need is a drink. Uh, can you do that on your own, or do you have to... Some, you know, does somebody have to point it out to you? Hey, you're drinking too much. You need to see a psychiatrist. You need to see a counselor. Um, you know, or at what point do people you are, are they usually able to recognize that this is a problem? Because there's that whole issue of denial that comes into addictive behavior. Well, in, in Ron's case, for example, he, he, you know, it wasn't a mystery to him that he had alcoholism. He knew that, but what he had never done was look at what this theme was. He didn't even know there was a theme because each situation seemed different to him, and that often happens with people because the surface uh, issues are, are, are different each time. 
but the underlying issue is the same. And I'm not saying he has to work all this out. He doesn't have to get a complete therapy to work this out. In fact, that's part of the point of the book. Yes, people can see this for themselves, and, and there are many examples in the book showing how to, just how to do this. That's what the seven, seven steps are, are about. You know, he, um, he needed to have, I mean, you, it, it raises also the question of uh, if these answers are so obvious, um, not only why didn't he see them, but why did he have to have a drink? What is it, how does the drink work? And the, way it, the answer to that is that when you feel over, overwhelmingly trapped and helpless, you have to do something. And that's not abnormal. That's normal. I mean, it, w- it would be abnormal to, to sit in the corner and, 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 and get depressed and say, well, I'm overwhelmed. People quite normally need to do something. And that powerful drive to do something is the drive behind the addictive behavior. So that's not the abnormal part. It's just that it's directed in the wrong place. And the wrong place really is another way of saying that instead of doing a direct action, instead of doing something like I said, like going into his boss, you do something else. You do a substitute action. It's the substitute action that is the addiction. Instead of going into his boss, he went and got a drink. For somebody else, instead of doing, you would go to drive to the casino, um, or, or, or you would go you know, cruising for prostitutes, or you would eat. So... Uh, Addictions are all substitutes. In fact, we name addictions by the substitute. If, if, you, if you substitute drinking, we say you have alcoholism. Um, if you substitute gambling, then we say you have compulsive uh, gambling and so forth. Is there any reason why one would pick one choice of addiction over another, like why one would put, pick food or one would put alcohol or gambling mm-hmm. or sex or drugs? Uh, yeah, is there anything that, uh, it's another in terms great of the question. Choice? Yeah, I mean, for some people there is a reason. Uh, for example, if you look at people with sexual addictions, there often is a specific thing that gets reenacted uh, in, in their sexual behavior. Sometimes people uh, have uh, entire rituals around their sexual addiction, things that they are repeatedly doing. And in that case, it clearly uh, it, it wouldn't be as effective for them to go just go and have a drink. But for a lot of people, they do exactly the same addictive behavior, like like drink. Uh, so it doesn't have a special meaning. It's more because alcohol is uh, prevalent in our culture. It's available. Um, and um, uh, there's so many other people in your family who may have had a drink that you identify with that. So it's, it's a little bit different. But again, the steps are uh, uh, enable people to, to uh, uh, see the key moment, to see the ways that they keep themselves from seeing the key moment, and then to find short-term strategies, and finally to find long-term strategies. Because once you recognize how this works, uh, not only can you do the sort of thing that I described with Ron, where you can find short-term solutions that really work uh, because they're addressing the problem, but you can then do something else. You can anticipate the occasions on which you will have an urge to drink. Dr. Jodis, we're going to take a short break. We've only got about a minute left. Um, We're talking to Professor of Psychiatry, 
uh, at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Lance Dotis, uh, discussing his new book, Breaking Addiction, a seven-step handbook for ending any addiction. And when we come back, I want to, doctor, I want to talk to you about uh, the family living with someone who has an addiction, because that's a whole other piece of, of well, uh, of your book and, and this whole addictive process. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to MoistAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And this morning, if you're just joining us, joining me is Dr. Lance Dotis, uh, MD, psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and author of Breaking Addiction, a seven-step handbook for ending any addiction. And Dr. Dotis, um, I mentioned that we've been talking about the... Um, I don't want to say the addictive personality, but uh, the seven steps for breaking any addiction. And um, as you've indicated, you talked about in the book, this is a very optimistic way of looking at addiction. So far, you know, we've been very, as a society, perhaps pessimistic about people who we label as addicts. So uh, this book, I think, does bring hope to people, not only to the individual who is suffering or sees themselves as a victim of an addiction, but the families. Talk to us about the families. How do the families handle this? How are they involved when they have a... Yeah, Yeah, absolutely, and there's one section of the book about this. You know, it's extremely hard on family members, uh, uh, children and spouses of people with addictions. Um, it's, 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 It's frustrating, it's infuriating, um, and and it drives people apart. Uh, but what helps often is to understand the addiction in this new way. For example, uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that of all the couples I've seen with where people, one of them has an addiction, uh, 
one of the biggest problems is lying. That uh, let's say it's the man who has some addictive behavior, and he lies about it to his wife. He lies about it all the time. She says, "You know, look, I can put up with this for a while. I could even put up with your continuing to to do this. But what I can't stand is that you tell me that you've stopped and you haven't, uh, or you or you make up some story, and that that ruins our marriage. And what helps is that usually, almost always, uh, the lying is about the addiction only." People don't lie. The, the husband may not lie about anything else. In fact, he may love his wife. You know, he, he would run into a burning building to save her if he had to. Uh, he would tell her the truth about all sorts of things, but not about his addiction. And the reason for that is because of the same factors that lead to the addiction itself. He has to protect, in his own mind, he has to protect the addictive behavior because he has to do it. And once he understands what the addiction is about, and she understands how it works, it really isn't about her. I mean, it's not. I'm not denying that she's affected. Of course, she's affected. But it makes a difference to the spouse to know that this is not lying because the marriage is over, because he he doesn't feel close to her anymore, he doesn't love her anymore. It's because it's part of a, a system to deal with something that he must do, and that has made a, a, a big difference to a lot of a lot of couples. And at the very least, it buys some time for him to get into the treatment that he needs to deal with the addiction rather than have the marriage uh, fly apart. So what would your suggestion be to anyone who's listening who perhaps says, you know, I have a spouse who I know, uh, who I recognize as having a, an addiction problem. They're addicted to, to alcohol. Uh, what do I do? What, what would I do? And yet they're not, they're not addressing it. Do I go out and buy Dr. Dotus's book, give it to him and say, hey, read this, and, and do you recognize yourself there? Or what well, that's does... a good idea. <laughs> that's a great idea, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, but seriously, I, I mean, it is a good idea because, you know, I think that the, you, it's, it's very helpful to the spouse, of course, and to the person with the addiction, to know more about it. And, and uh, the book is designed, it's, I call it a handbook, because it's designed to be very easy to, to read and to, and to follow. It's not abstruse, there's no technical language in it or anything like that. And I, the more you understand the easier your life becomes because it's, it tends to change your perspective. It's not about the things that you thought it was about. And uh, usually that's, that's a lot better than thinking that, you know, my husband or my wife doesn't care about me anymore, uh, is uh, just a selfish person, all that stuff. It's just really not true, and it helps a lot to understand that. Yeah, I think that is important. I'm glad you brought that up because this book definitely... Is, it can be for the professional, but it's also for the layperson. It's for the person who has the addiction, the person who's uh, associated with the person who has the addiction, the family, and it is optimistic, and it, it sort of takes away from that, as you say, um, that kind of deep, dark secret and lying and cheating and, and sort of underhanded kind of stuff and brings everything out into the open, and it's very practical. Uh, it is a handbook. So yeah. I, I yeah I do recommend it from it's it's it's, it's an easy read and any and, you know children can I mean over you know high school kids anyone can read it yeah absolutely and and you know there is one section at the end for professionals but I wrote it mostly for the general public yeah and and that's exactly yeah it's it's um you know I I read it in a day yeah <laughs> I'm a it's not that long so, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess yeah. But okay, so that's the family because I think that's that's really important. So does that mean that? Um, what about this whole thing about you know you have to hit rock bottom before you're going to do anything about it? Particularly with alcohol, they've always said that you really yeah. Don't. That's not really true. I, I mean, it's that's I, people say that 
The problem with saying that is that it sort of implies that there's something, there's something stupid about you. You know, and when you finally get it knocked into your thick head, you know, you've suffered enough, then you'll realize it's not like that. It has nothing to do with being stupid. And part of the reason to write a book about it is so that people don't get so far down in their lives that, that they are at rock bottom. I mean, there's something you can do about it at, at any stage. And you, naturally, you want to catch it as early as, as possible. And, and what you were saying before about the pessimism is exactly right. We have been so pessimistic because the results have been bad. I mean, let's face it. The statistical results for treating addiction have not been good with traditional methods. Uh, but if you look at it a different way, it changes everything. And it, it really, it's, it's, we're coming to a new day in the treatment of addiction, I hope. So, Dr. Dotis, we've been described by many people, professionals and lay people as well, writers, authors, that we are an addictive culture, we're an addictive society. I want to address that with you because I think there is some truth to that. You know, we are somehow, we want to be satisfied now, and um, we somehow, a lot of us do do that, and particularly with relation, with, uh, related to, to, uh, to eating because I think that's a huge mm. issue. Um, and it is yeah. huge in all sense of the word, I guess. But uh, you know, <laughs> half of us are overweight; the other third yeah. of are obese. And so, how does that fit into this picture of breaking an addiction? Well, I think that there are. You're you're right. Of course, there are there are cultural factors that are at at stake, and and um, you know, we do have a lot of things pushed on us. Uh, uh, everything has to be fast. We all know about the soundbite culture, and if you have something to say that's important, but it takes you more than uh, 30 seconds to say it, then people will tune out. Uh, that's that's all all true. Um, I think that um, uh, you know there are, there are a number. Of, I mean, if you were really going to talk about nutrition, there are a number of factors, such as the fact that people don't don't eat wisely, and we've gotten pretty bad nutrition advice over the years too. Um, but um, the um, the piece that is uh, specific to addiction. I mean, there's a lot of overeating that isn't really addictive, but the piece that is specific to addiction is exactly the same as other kinds of uh, compulsive or addictive behaviors, that people find that they have to eat, uh, have eating binges or eat a lot at certain times. And when they recognize that, then, then they really can, can, can master it. One of the problems with eating, of course, is that unlike with drinking, uh, you can't not eat. I mean, it, you can always stop drinking if you, know, you don't need to drink to live, but you do need to eat. So in a way, it's a little tougher for folks who have a food addiction uh, because they have to be managing it every day uh, in a way that you don't have to do if you just stop. Uh, but it can be done. And, and it's the difference, again, between um, uh, ordinary eating because you're, you're hungry and eating because you, are, you have to eat because you're feeling trapped. Give us an example of uh, a, a case study of an individual that you're familiar with who... Uh, was able to overcome an eating addiction, a food addiction? Well, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, it's different from the case of Ron because he didn't have a, a food uh, addiction. But, um, you know, uh, there was a, a woman I was seeing who uh, was quite overweight, and she uh, was overweight not just because she ate all the time, but because she, she frequently binged. And she didn't purge, by the way, so she didn't get it out of her system. So she just ate in enormous quantities at times. Uh, and uh, it, just as with other folks, she needed to see that the times when she binged were, were not random. They were always caused by something, although she, she had trouble recognizing it at first. But there was a theme, and she began to see the theme, so she knew it. Now, knowing it in itself 
is only the first step. She then had to figure out uh, what else she could do in those moments. And, you know, this is a, um, a woman who was uh, tended to say yes to everybody, you know, help me out with this, yes, sure, I'll do it. But she hated to do it. So she needed to see that that was the issue for her, that she tended to, she was way too agreeable. She was way too uh, submissive in a way. Uh, and as she began to see the issue there, she uh, was able to start saying no to things, even though it was hard for her because she thought that it was the morally right thing to do to say yes, no matter what people asked of her. Uh, so it was difficult. But she could see the theme, and she could see that she ate at certain times to solve that problem. And she could gradually shift over to do something that was really more direct. The whole idea is to do something direct instead of the, the displaced or the substitute action of the addiction. So she began to do things that were more direct. And when she did, she, she just didn't eat. Now, there were still some times that she binged, and so it took her a little while. But that's, that's just the way it is for all addictions. And you can, you can master it. Um, it may not happen overnight, but you can master it. And the more experience you get, actually, the better you get at it. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it can be done. So, Dr. Dotis, give us a time frame. Is there a time frame or is it different for everybody? Let's say from the moment that you're able to recognize that uh, uh, you're acting in a powerless manner or you have these feelings of not... That's the theme. I will have to reiterate that, right? That you feel... You don't... You sort of... Um, you feel powerless. You feel like you're doing things that you don't want to do. You're afraid to stand up to people. You're afraid to say no. And this relates back to a lot of stuff usually that happens in childhood because I think both examples you gave of the eating and also uh, the first one, Ron, with the alcohol addiction, all related to the fact of feeling overwhelmed, overburdened by other people's demands and not being able to stand up for yourself. So you eat or you drink or you gamble instead. Well, that is a very common uh, theme. It's very common. But it's not the only theme. Uh, for example, um, and some other uh, examples in my in my book, there's, there are people who suffer uh, terribly when they have a, a loss. I mean, we all suffer when we have a loss, but for these people, because they had suffered early losses that were so traumatic for them, any new loss is also overwhelming. They just can't manage it. And so that's another kind of thing that often leads to uh, to addictive behavior. Um, so, you know, there are uh, a, a number of things, but in terms of the time frame, um, yes, it is individual, um, but I think the, the the good news is that even even though it's it's individual, it's never forever. You know, it, people do get this resolved, and it's common to get it resolved uh, or to get it improved. Let's say relatively quickly, surprisingly quickly. It may take longer to get the last bits of it out. You know, but. Um, uh, but it, this is why I, I say it's, it's, it's a new day, I think, for thinking about addictions. There really is much more hope than people have given, uh, have thought about addictions uh, in the past. Most well, people, it's been a pleasure yeah. having you on the show. I mean, oh, I sure. learned a lot. I know my audience did. I want them to know that they can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere, Breaking Addiction, a seven-step handbook for ending any addiction. Dr. Lance Dotis, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, don't go away, we have author, actor, writer, and director Philip Shepard. He's going to discuss his new book, New Self, New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me is Philip Shepard. He is an author, actor, writer, director, but uh, he's going to be talking about his new book, New Self, New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. Welcome to the show, Philip. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. Pleasure well, to be here. It's nice to have you on. And in, in your new book, you talk about what it means to be human and how our daily lives are a constant treadmill, and boy, this is so true, of stress and tension, work bills, family responsibilities, all this stuff. And I, you say that the stress and the tension are actually created by stories that our culture has developed over the past 10,000 years. What do you mean by that? Because I assume that once we can understand that, we'll be able to get rid of all this stress and tension in our lives. And I think most of us, both, and I know you're from Toronto, Canadians and Americans understand what we're talking about when we talk about all this this tension and, and, and stuff that's involved with our work and our family responsibilities. Yeah, uh, the basic problem is that we've separated our thinking from our being. Um, now that goes back, as I say, 10,000 years. During what's known as the Neolithic Revolution, uh, we started a transition from a life that was centered around female values and, and uh, societies actually honored the goddess into life that was centered around male values and, and we kind of shifted our allegiance to the gods. But what's most interesting about that transition is that our thinking was experienced in the belly in the early, early Neolithic. And you can look at, at cultures and language and trace the shift of that center of our thinking up through the body to the solar plexus, the chest, the heart area, and finally uh, up into the head. And that is a that parallels the shift in society from female values to male values and what it means is that when you're living in your head you have basically withdrawn from the sensations of the body the sensations of the body are, are our bridge to the world around us to what connect us to the present and you end up primarily thinking about your own thoughts rather than experiencing the life of the moment. And that, being disconnected from our being in that way, creates cravings and anxiety and alienation because you feel separate from the world around you. And, and all those other concomitants of our uh, 
wonderful 20th century existence. Well, I, I, I'm assuming this is, the, the, obviously, this is the premise of the book. And so what are we going to do? You, you're talking about we have all these stories going around in our heads and always, you know, we're all up in our head. None of, it's none, none of it's the feeling, you're saying, like from our, our belly, our gut. Um, and so what can we do about it? I mean, what? Well, here's, here's, here's my, my, the easiest way of answering that. There are two sides to it. One is the story. So in a million ways, every day, our culture communicates to us that the head should rule. Um, what do I mean by that? It's in our language. You know, you talk about corporate headquarters. You talk about getting ahead. You know, the head of the Roman Catholic Church. We, maybe it sh- he, the Pope should be called the heart of the Roman Catholic Church, or even the lungs, because spirit, you know, means breath, ultimately. Um, but no, the head should rule. And that, that shows up in our architecture and the divisions that we carry within our body reflect the way we divide up the world around us, whether it's the rooms in our house that are divided with with doors that are locked or the way houses are divided from each other with their neat suburban locks. So uh, we have a message of separation and enclosure that says this is what reality is and this is how you should live. So that whole story that marries us to living in the head and marries us to male values. The other side um, of my answer has to do with our physiology. We actually have two distinct brains in the body. There's the brain in the head that we're all familiar with, but there's a brain in the belly that's known uh, medically as the enteric nervous system that is independent it processes, it decides, it acts, it, ru- it needs nothing, nothing from the brain and the head. Now, when you look at that transition from the brain and the belly in the early Neolithic to the brain and the head, what you see is a transition from the place in our body where we can consciously be to the place in our body where we can consciously think. And that's what I was referring to when I said, there, you know, we've, we've cut off our thinking from our being. Now, now when you, you have... I just want to stop you. I, I want to stop you for a minute. Yeah, please. It's always good to put... I, I like to, as a, maybe it's because of my background as a social worker, but mm. give us specific examples. I mean, in describing, and it's an interesting philosophy, can you apply that to different individuals, individuals um, that we can relate to, um, you know, put how they would um, understand this process and be able to free themselves of this kind of overthinking and, and, and stress that it causes. Yeah, the tendency is to come up with a solution and try to implement which is again a reliance on thinking and abstraction. But, but there is, I teach workshops, and one of the primary exercises in the workshop is involves feeling the center of your consciousness in the head, the center of your thinking, and feeling this like elevator shaft that drops down through the body and allowing that center of your thinking to sift down through the body all the way until it finally comes to rest on the pelvic floor. 
So that's a specific example of something we can do um, to reverse or, or, or heal that, that wound between our thinking and our being. Um, when you come to rest on the pelvic floor, and it's something that our culture doesn't encourage, um, doesn't provide us any tools to do, and you need, you need to pay attention to the breath, and you need to pay attention to the body. But when you drop down through the body with your center of consciousness and come to rest there within the pelvic bowl, everything, your whole sense of self and world shift and tension falls away and the world acquires a sudden peace and clarity. Do, you think, do people resist doing this? I mean, you know, we talk about spirituality and, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about specific exercises that we can do so that we can kind of just kind of, I guess, get back to that, that spiritual way of thinking and feeling and being. But do you meet with a lot of resistance among, um, you know, you, you teach workshops, you're, you're uh, head of a theater, you, you know, I mean, all, all of, in, in, in just in your own daily life, because uh, I think people sometimes tend to shy away from that. They don't see it as practical enough. No, you're, you're right. I, what I encounter more often is resistant somebody who wants to experience that and finds resistance within their own body. Um, and then I just, I just offer the encouragement that when, for example, if you're doing that elevator shaft exercise and you drop down and you get stuck at the chest, you can't drop any further than that. I say what you've encountered is a treasure because you've, you've shed light on a block, a division that you're carrying around in yourself. And if you can, if you can allow that to soften and, and offer it, you know, offer it what, what warmth and attention you can, it'll, it, then you'll begin to drop down through it. And as soon as you've transcended a habitual block like that, um, it, it weakens. It starts to loosen its its sort of independent existence and begins to integrate with the whole again. But I still get back to the resistance because I think that people, as a society, as a culture, we tend to resist um, this new self, as you describe in the book. we, We don't want to change. So the people who come to my workshop are people who do want to change. Apart from that, society is so invested in the status quo that, for example, we see the environment going to hell in a handbasket, and our solution to that is to find solutions from the head that will fix the problem. But the problem with those solutions is that they, they arise from a place of disconnection. Um, and more often than not, a solution you implement will have unintended consequences that are their own problems that then need fixing. So we, 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 come, we, we, we approach these problems from a very disintegrated perspective. And yes, there's huge resistance culturally to anything that's, that honors the female aspect of our consciousness. I mean, science is is against it. You know, neurology is obsessed with this idea that the self is contained in the cranial brain. And it's just, it's just nonsense. But that's where they feel their, their own self. And that's, you know, science um, has so detached from sensation and intuition and feeling, it, it considers 
that detachment to be a real virtue. Well, and um, also, here's another, I mean, from another perspective, not only science, but what about, you know, we are a cap- capitalist society or Western culture, capitalist societies, impoverished by, as you say, our attachment to money. This seems to go against uh, what you're talking about in terms of achieving this, this, this new self, this spirituality. Um, how do we get over that? How do we battle that vice? Well, it, it's, it helps to recognize that capitalism comes from a Latin word meaning head. So capitalism is headism. All the values of capitalism are those attributed to, to living in the head. And what really matters in your life is shown up by our mortality. And you know, we li- when we live in the head, there's no, there's no real sense that we're going to die except as this kind of abstract knowledge. But my gosh, once you, once you come to terms with your own transience, you see, you see money, you know, on your deathbed, money means nothing. It's all relationships. And living in the head takes us out of relationship with people, with the world around us, with our own bodies. And, and to begin to forge and, and luxuriate in our relationships and honor them is, is to sort of tip that hold that capitalism has on us. And it, it, it begins to fall away and you, you learn how to just treasure the the beauty of the world in all its all its transitoriness well that's a very optimistic approach i like it i want to make sure that our readers our listeners and our readers obviously uh they can buy your book i assume at bookstores everywhere online new self it is it is yeah new self new world i want to mention it again so they're recovering our senses in the 21st century philip shepherd and there is a website for us to go to if we go to philipshepherd.com, and your Philip is spelled with one L, um, Shepherd, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. You've got the right name, Shepherd, uh, <laughs> dot com. Welcome to the, so it's, um, great been ha- it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much it's for being with us. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much, Kathy. Uh, coming up next is Joan London. She's one of my favorite people and a trusted journalist, former host of ABC's Good Morning America, and she's going to talk to us about her new spring collection of home design for QVC. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? 
Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And once again, one of my most favorite te- uh, people, I love talking to her, a trusted journalist, former host of ABC's Good Morning America, Joan London, here to talk about her new spring collection of home design for QVC. Uh, welcome to the show, Joan. Nice to have you on, as always. Oh, thank you, as always. It was fun getting to know you, too, and you, you went away on one of my getaways with me. I'm and waiting for the next one. Fun. That your getaway was the best. I keep talking about that. When's Joan going to have another one? Because I am ready to go. But uh, first, well, I want to talk to you about what you're doing, QVC. Catherine, the next one is up at camp. I'm going to have to get you up there and get you up on the climbing wall. I want to go back to the Ritz Carlton. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> yes, I loved it. And I also have to say, before we even begin, because I'm always impressed with this, Joan is the mother of seven children. Seven children. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, okay, home decor, QVC. Um, tell us all about it. This is a whole new line, a whole new adventure for you. Yes, it is, and it's been a really fun, creative adventure. But you know something, Catherine, it really is on brand. You know me well enough to know what a woman's advocate I am. I'm all around the country all the time uh, connecting with women, and whatever I can do to try to make women's lives a little bit easier on a daily basis, because we're all running in a thousand directions trying to, you know, keep jobs outside the home but still run the home and raise the kids. And you know what? In the meantime, we still want our houses to be pretty. We'd still like to give a little bit of a, a, a facelift now and then to our homes without spending a, a lot of money. And the easiest way to do that, of course, is to change up the bed linens or tablecloths, uh, maybe a few throws and pillows in your house. So that's where I started. And we launched the bedding line um, last spring and had a phenomenal success, I'm happy to say, on QVC. And, and I chose QVC because, you know, I've made my living for the last 20 years on TV. People are used to seeing me on TV, and they've been a wonderful partner. Uh, we're expanding to cookware and housewares in the fall. But right now, we're on our way down there, as a matter of fact, uh, because tomorrow night from 7 to 8 o'clock Eastern Time, we're going to launch the 2011 Bedding Collection. Right, so tell us about the Bedding Collection. When you launch it tomorrow, what are we going to see? What are we going to be able to go out there and buy? And Because um, I know you always, beautiful things, I, I, all the things that you had at Christmas time were lovely, not just, be- not just good-looking, but practical, as you say, because, you know, we are bu- most of us are busy women. We're doing a million different kinds of things. We want our houses to look nice, but we also want to be able to not spend too much money and at the same time that's right. get stuff that's practical for our home and for the family. You know, I think most people, they don't want to go out and spend $1,000 for a bedding collection that then is perishable. 
I mean, you can find my my goal here, Catherine, was to find materials that looked elegant and exquisite and bold and beautiful, but that weren't really silk. You know, they're they're faux silk, they're faux silk shampoo pillows. But when you look at these, I I discovered you can find materials that look beautiful but aren't perishable and pricey. And it is possible to put together a beautiful look in a bed and to bring in a collection for, you know, a few hundred dollars instead of a few thousand dollars. I look to to find things so that um, I could put a collection together and the woman at home could just easily get it. It's a no-brainer. I've, you know, designed pillows to go with it. I kind of am one of those people. I love pillows. I don't feel that your bed is complete without a few beautiful pillows, just like you want to put your jewelry on once you put your dress on. So, so our pillows are incredibly well-priced. Everything is affordable. You know, they're easy care. They're not perishable. And they're pretty. And every single collection is designed around somewhere that I got to go and that I got to see. And I well recognize that I've had kind of that all-access pass to the world in my position, and I got to see the insides of palaces and people's private islands. So this is yet one more chance for me to share those things with the American public, and that has really been fun. So, Joan, we're talking about practical. When we talk about your line, your home design, practical, we're talking about elegant. We're talking about, are we talking about washable? I mean, these are things you say they're not satin, but that looks like satin, so we can easily wash and we don't have to spend a lot of time worrying about cleaning things, and, and, and so I assume that's part of the practical part of this? Yes, and people want sheets that are going to feel good. You know, we've used a cotton sateen. It just means that the sheet is a little brighter and uh, that it feels a little softer. But, you know, obviously everything, they, people want things, that, you know, that are deep, that will fit over top of their their mattresses these days and that are washable, and then when you take them out of the dryer, they say, still look nice. I mean, we have popcorn throws, these wonderful popcorn throws in many, many colors that match all of the different bedding collections. And you can throw those things into the washing machine and into the dryer and take them out, and they look the same as when they went in. And that also counts. And it doesn't just have to look good in the box when you open it up. People want things to last and to endure. Even in styling, you know, Catherine, I, I really take that into account when I'm trying to come up with a design. I don't want it to be a flash in the pan. I, you know, we, it's nice to change your bedding even every few months, and if it's affordable enough, you can, but you want to be able to pull that out again a year from now and have it stand the test of time. So if you pick the right kind of classic, elegant designs, it will stand the test of time. So, Joan, what are we talking about in terms of colors? I assume that, that we have a lot of choices and uh, in the... Yes. Yeah. There are six designs that we're showing. Three of them will show tomorrow night um, on the show. And then on March 16th, if for any reason you missed tomorrow night, we're going to show the other three. And we have one called English Rose Garden, which is this bold, romantic, deep red roses on a black and silver background. So, I, you know, I asked my closest 5,000 friends on Facebook, <laughs> what colors would you like in your bedroom? And it's amazing. I love it that you can be so connected to people these days. And they tell you. I had people say, I want um, uh, a very warm family. I like, I like a spice. 
so I came up with this wonderful, wonderful collection paying homage to the city of New Orleans. And, you know, it has the wonderful, the, the design on the bed, on the comforter, uh, is inspired by those wonderful wrought iron balconies all throughout the French Quarter. But it's a beautiful spice on a cream background. I have another line called Stockholm, which is a vivid, beautiful blue, um, with mums, uh, almost look like they've been painted on a, a, a blue cotton sateen comforter. And then we embellished it with some yellow mums that are actually embroidered on. So, you know, it's set against a, a vivid blue, but it brings out the yellow. And boy, when you walk into the room, you just smile. When, and that's what I want. I want a woman to walk into the room, and when she looks at that bed, I just want her to smile. Well, you have that kind of charisma, Joan. I have to say, when you walk into the room, you make people smile. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that you're able to do that with your products. I love it. And one thing I'm thinking about, you know, you talk about you're on Facebook, you've got 50,000, 500,000, whatever people. You can do all your beta testing. So you know what you're producing, what you are going to, you know, uh, you know, what you create, your designs. People want that because you've already asked them. I love it. But we live in a brand new world these days. I mean, we didn't have Facebook and all. We didn't even have the Internet and Google and the ability to, to just research anything that you want at, the, at your fingertips, even when I was hosting Good Morning America. And today, to be able to put that question out there and get this instantaneous response, is, is, first of all, I love it. It's just this extra connection with, you know, all of my viewers, my fans, my that that family of mine that I have that, I consider very special, but it also does really, really serve useful when you go to design lines for the next season. Yeah, should we ask you? We only got about a couple minutes left, but what's coming up in the next season, or, or is that a, is that a surprise? Oh uh, well, next fall, um, I'm really excited about a new line of cookware that we're going to be coming out with, and I can't say too much about it, but it all it is absolutely it has been designed to make sure that cooking for your family in the kitchen is safe. It's a wonderful new alternative, nonstick alternative to Teflon. It has incredible innovative design to it to keep the food warm at the table. I'm, I'm extremely excited about it. And we will be launching that on QVC in September. Uh, and that will be followed by a whole new line of housewares just to make everyday cooking and taking care of your family that much easier and more fun. Great. I look forward to it. We have to say goodbye, but just mention one more time uh, QVC, what's coming out now in the immediate future, which is tomorrow, and then I think you said March 16th. We want to be sure that everybody has the right dates. Yes, absolutely. Tomorrow on QVC at 1 o'clock, I'll be on the show selling some of my throws in case you missed them during the holidays. Then at 7 to 8 p.m. tomorrow night, Eastern Time, so remember that's three hours earlier out west, but 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I'll be on QVC, and the second set of the collection will be premiered on March 16th between 3 and 4 p.m. And anybody who misses it, you know you can always go online to QVC.com and click on uh, Joan London Home, and you'll see me right there during my, during my little sale. Great. Great talking to you, and good luck, and we'll talk to you again in the fall. 
Always fun talking to you, Catherine. You're terrific. Thank you. Thanks. Joan London, as I said, one of my most favorite people. She's doing great stuff uh, and is a former host of ABC's Good Morning America and now on QVC with her new home design collection. So watch for it tomorrow and again on March 16th. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Hope you've had a great morning. Have a good week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.